everyone. Welcome to Kip Nugget. My name is Callie. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm here with my husband and our other co-host, Tagana. Hi. Before we start, no, no we're not, not taking our sponsors today. No, but let's warn our listeners. There will most likely be explicit, explicit language, language today. We're feeling really frustrated and really upset at the state of... Today is the evening of Wednesday, August 26th. So, I'm not sure where this conversation is going to go. We're mostly doing this to vent, guys. Um, but this conversation started. Obviously, there was another black man shot in Kenosha. And um, and this evening, we were watching the news, and we saw that the NBA players are boycotting their playoff games tonight. And that's sort of what started our conversation on this topic. I think it's also good to share with everyone um, some of the things that we did today personally, just so everyone has context. I mean, we've always been ourselves and we've been honest about it. So I think this is important to know. Earlier today, we watched some of a documentary on Russell Simmons. This is after in the past few months having watched documentaries on R. Kelly, Michael Jackson, Harvey Weinstein, tons of sexual predators. This was the latest one. Then we watched the first 20 or so minutes of the Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where Roman Polanski is a character. And, yeah, and that's and just... Callie for, isn't like for, really like a movie yeah, person. Yeah, for those so people who don't she know, really know who that was. Polanski, explain the context here. We may have listeners yeah, so, like me who don't know. So he's know. like a director from a long time ago, but also he's never stopped working. But back in the 70s or something, basically he committed statutory rape. I can't remember if he was just arrested or convicted, but... He has been a fugitive of American law ever since, but somehow he still managed to put together a career, like continuing to make films, continuing to have the enjoy the esteem and praise of his peers. I think he's been making all the movies overseas. So there was that guy that I had to fill in Callie about. And then we decide, you know, this movie is not that good and we don't want to watch it right now. So we turn on the news and... Of course, yeah, now we're talking about Kenosha. Today was the day that the 17-year-old was arrested um, for shooting, for taking what, one of those assault rifles? and A long gun. Uh-huh. A long gun and murdering two people. I'm a domestic terrorist, a white nationalist, I'm assuming, um, but a kid, a kid who has been indoctrinated and killed people, murdered people. Yeah, left a state with that gun. He he lives in Illinois. He went to Kenosha. Uh, apparently, he was training to be a police and, cadet and, or something. And that's and that's what I'm struggling with so much here. Two points. The first point: when you were talking about Polanski, the fact that he's still held in esteem is so beyond infuriating. How is it that we can compartmentalize the paternos of the world, the Catholic cardinals who pushed, who shuffled pedophiles around, the Hollywood whatevers who make, quote, good films while they sexually abuse women and children? I don't understand how you can compartmentalize those bad acts and say, oh, well, he still makes good movies. To me, that's just... It's a no-brainer. That person is a piece of shit. Yeah, and we do it all the time. We've we, I think historically done it probably the most for athletes. 
Well, always for the most for the people in power, positions yeah. of power. Right? Positions but, of power, absolutely. But in pop culture or in the media, what you really see is this happen with athletes. You know, athletes' transgressions are often overlooked. Um, and yeah, of course, it happens with powerful men in Hollywood. And that's just baffling to me. It's just baffling. For and and that's again, I see this Wait, play. Did Woody Allen do something similar? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's <laughs> so much shit. But I think that that what I'm feeling so frustrated with tonight is seeing all of this play out, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And I'm not black. I'm a privileged white woman and I can fit into any crowd and I can pretend to belong wherever. But you see people defending the police in the same way that we didn't defend the Catholic Church when they were shuffling pedophiles around. People, I grew, I was raised Catholic, and people that I grew up with, they were so quick to say, oh yeah, that's, that's wrong. Because we saw in such a widespread way with like it, the, the first, you know, sort of, the first sort of um, public eye on this was a spotlight article back in the day. And they, they found this sort of systemic problem in Boston, extrapolated that to the rest of the country. Now we have thousands and thousands of victims of sexual abuse and molestation in the Catholic Church. And I've seen people fall away from that institution. And they say, yeah, I'm still religious, but I no longer believe in that institution because it did not protect children. Period. End of sentence. Yeah, and th- their public image, I mean, it was almost overnight. I mean, it, it was like, not literally, but it was like within a span of months and years, not decades, that it was like a light switch. And, you know, as you were talking about this, I was going to ask you, what do you think the difference is? And I'm kind of dreading the answer, which might be that white children are a more sympathetic group I of think that's exactly what it is. Men. I think that's exactly what it is. Because white America could put themselves in the shoes of a parent who sent their kid to be an altar boy or who sent their kid to Catholic parochial school for whatever education. But yeah, I think that that's absolutely the issue. We see the same issues in America's police force. There's no requirement that if you um, are sued in a, a section 1983 lawsuit, let's say that the city has to pay out and settle with those um, to those victims of police brutality, those cops just get shuffled around. They go to a new city. They get hired. There's no sort of list, just like, you know, there was no sort of list with the Catholic Church. They just shuffled around, relied on anonymity, and they were free to do as they pleased. And, yeah, I see people defending this institution. The institution is rotten. I am certainly not saying that there aren't good police officers. But the public, this is a, these people are public servants. Taxpayers pay for them, right? They are serving us, yet they are killing us and not me. They are killing black people. They are killing people of color and they are brutalizing them. I think that's what, I think that is what people that I see on my Facebook feed, they use their experiences with the cops, which are generally very good oh, how do you do, sir? You were speeding a bit back there. I'm going to write you up a ticket. No, actually, I'm going to let you go. They extrapolate their experiences to everyone. So they think inherently 
if a black person is shot or a black person is stopped by police, oh, they were doing something wrong. They deserved it. But that's just not how it works because we're people don't witness these incidents because a they don't read the stats but also they don't live in black communities we are so segregated as a society that you just don't black people don't see how white people interact with the police i mean they do in movies and whatever but the reverse is true white people aren't privy to how black people interact with the police and they're not willing to listen to black people no and and can't help but think of this when they when white people no white people are aware that's why you have amy cooper she knew exactly what he was doing. i mean no. not to bring up something that seems like it was right ago, but right but no, but no I, I think that's also a valid point that you know most white people in their own experiences have, probably have positive interactions with their police the other thing that that just blew my mind today was watching the the cell phone video of who's the kid uh rittenhouse right Jacob yeah, Rittenhouse. The, the terrorist. Yeah, the so, so afterwards, afterwards terrorist. he has the assault rifle strapped around his neck like a necklace. He has his hands in the air. He's walking to the police. And I thought, oh, okay, look, he's surrendering. Uh, he probably thinks he did nothing wrong or that he was justified, you know, whatever, stand your ground, whatever. But he looked like he was surrendering. And then he would go up to a cop. And then he would go to another cop. And then he would go to, like, a third police car. It looked to me like he was trying to, like, tell someone, hey, I shot someone, but it wasn't my fault or I was justified. And the cops just ignored him. They, they didn't even register him as like a, a guy with a gun. A, a guy with huge a gun. gun. Just because he was white. It's like he had this shield around him. And the police were like, oh, yeah, don't, you know, don't even mind him. You know, the guy literally saying, I shot someone. And he's practically invisible to them. And like that to, that compare that, mind. compare that to Tamir Rice, the 12-year-old kid playing with a toy gun who was shot within seconds. There's no shield there. There's For me, no- visually, the one that always comes to mind is, I don't even know his name. He didn't get shot to death, but he got shot. It was a paramedic trying to take care of someone who was oh, mentally the, having an yeah, episode. Yeah, I think it was he like an autistic. He lays down flat on the ground with I his know. hand, and then they still shoot him in the leg or something. I know. I, and to compare that with, because you don't often see what happened. Well, no, you, you see it sometimes. But, but we just saw what uh, police, who I'm sure their their senses, all of their you know their their alarms are going off in their heads because they're in the middle of a riot, right? Right. And so you have to think that they're in a pretty heightened state, and they just don't even see the white kid with an assault rifle trying to give up and telling them, "I just shot someone." Yeah, I think he had a long gun, not an assault rifle, but a big gun. Yeah, a big gun. <laughs> We're not gun people. We don't know the types of guns. He had a big gun. He had a big gun. And he's telling them, I just, just shot, shot someone. someone. Multiple people. No, no, but he's saying it himself, too. Yeah. Other people are yelling at the police, hey, he just shot some people. He's saying, I just shot somebody. And, and still, it's just and, like a complete blind spot. And I think that what's so, um, something that's two things. One, the fact that the headlines for his arrest said he was, he wanted to be a cop. What was the term they used? Like, um, a one, not a wannabe. Like a cadet Ins- or yeah, like a aspiring, a, aspiring cop. They used aspiring cop. That's such glorifying language. Instead of saying, idiot kid who is a murderer who has no business ever doing anything related to police work, murdered people. 
like an aspiring cop doesn't that like in your mind you get pictures of like no it's oh. really fucking weird i st- like why do i know that brock turner was a great swimmer yeah why do i know that yeah why was that even brought up he's a rapist yeah why do i know why does everyone know that he was a great swimmer or a swimmer for stanford like it's why? nuts why it's nuts and my second point was how do we make this stop obviously protests aren't working kneeling didn't work how do you make it stop how do you actually enact change these are our public servants this isn't it's not like this is you know we're going into uncharted territory there are plenty of other countries again who have police forces who do not use deadly force in this way yes do we have guns in america yes but can we still not do most people that are interacting with the police have guns? No, on their persons. No. And even when they do, when they announce them legally and do as other, they're supposed to, you have Philando Castile legally carrying, put his hands up, told the officer, dead. I feel like I could throw up. The other thing that in my mind makes this way worse Listen, I mean, I was born in 1983. Like, everyone knows racism exists. It exists in America. Is it better now than it was in the 50s and 60s? Sure. Has there been prog? Is you know, is the long arc positive? Yeah, sure. But it also just hit me that this kid, uh, Jacob Rittenhouse, is 17 years old, and <laughs> I just recently turned 37. That means that when I was 20 years old, this kid didn't even exist yet. Right. Even when I was 20, I kind of had an idea. Hey, as the decades roll along, eventually the races are sort of going to die out, age out, something. It's never going to get eliminated, but you would think, and then no, like somehow we're managing to create brand new races. Yeah. We're perpetuating racism. We're perpetuating all the hatred. And it's it's just nuts to me. It's so nuts. But I think that with with him, the the problem, I think with this whole sort of cult of people, and I'll call them a cult. I'm not afraid to call them a cult. Um, the people who, when presented with alternative information, refuse to acknowledge it and have their own alternative facts. Like he thinks he's he thinks he's doing a good job. He's an aspiring cop. He thought he was helping the cops because he murder in murdering people. Yeah, I'm sure in his mind he in was going to surrender mind, to the cops. Right, and they, they were going to arrest say, him. But and then he would say, tell them job. what happened. Right, and then be like, "Oh, okay, you know, we probably have to process you and all that stuff." But right, but good job, once patriot. Lawyers come in, whatever. He'll claim self defense, but whatever. And they didn't even arrest. They didn't even see him. It was. Yeah, and uh, I guess I'm feeling very frustrated. at how the change so far has been very token. Like you and I understand there's qualified immunity. Let's talk about what is qualified immunity. So I think most people misunderstand qualified immunity to think that police officers or government officials can't be prosecuted without getting over this this sort of insurmountable um, mountain. But it's not. There's two types of, of of cases, right? There's a civil lawsuit, which is just for money, just for damages, 
almost always money. And then there's and it's criminal. almost entirely citizen against citizen. Yeah, it's all, a civil cases. It's, it's like when when somebody slips and falls yeah, yeah. in your restaurant, they sue you for. I mean, it can be the government, but it can be the government, likely, but yeah. it's almost always. Um, Whereas you, criminal, where it's always state versus state versus Haganakim. Um, so qualified immunity is just a legal doctrine that grants government officials, including police officers immunity from civil suits so it would essentially be like a a legal doctrine for doctors being protected from medical malpractice suits so basically if a cop accidentally injures me or what about intentionally injures me yeah so it's i mean okay so first of all (laughs) easy case the cop accidentally injures me i can't personally sue the cop right i can sue the government Right. And the so government it doesn't will step pro- in. If it win, the government will step in and pay. Right. But the Ex- cop himself will Exactly. Okay. So it it shifts the burden. So it's it doesn't like a prevent while he's on the job. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Exactly. So it doesn't prevent you from suing the government. You can still, let's say you're hit by a SEPTA bus because of a negligent SEPTA driver. You can still sue SEPTA. Or you can still sue the government when a police officer shoots you in the leg. You can't sue that police officer individually. But that is essentially, um, when you think about incentives and some of the things we've talked about on this podcast, it's essentially passing the buck, right? So basically every single time there's one of these cases, whether it's Ronnie King, any, anytime there's a settlement, the cop almost has no, the cop has they have no, no skin in the game. Right. Okay. Right. Right. It's not as if they're paying their medical malpractice premiums like a doctor would. Gotcha. Th- this is literally just legal doctrine. What... What I wanted to bring up about qualified immunity was that it's a fairly new legal concept. It was um, it was established in the height of the civil rights era, 1967, which to me means that there was a whole long period of time where we didn't have this protective immunity for police officers who make these let's let's be diplomatic mistaken judgments on the job. So the the big thing though, like again, when we're talking about incentives, you want police officers to have skin in the game. You want for doctors no, okay, who are okay, negligent. Okay. But, okay, but why does just to play not devil's advocate, but okay, why does this even exist? It's because there are genuine accidents, right? So if a police officer is literally like legitimately doing his job, they're chasing down a criminal in the car and they hit an ice cream truck, then you want the ice cream truck driver to be able to get some money, but the cop himself who's just doing his job properly should not have to pay for the risks that just came with his job. So that's that's why this thing exists, right? Is that fair? Right. No, I think you're, that's absolutely right. It's not you, like it came out of nowhere. It's, right. You want to be able to protect officers in the event that they're acting in good faith. Right. Just like medical in, malpractice because mistakes happen. Right. Mistakes happen. You don't want them to be subject to frivolous law, lawsuits or, you know, some situations are unclear. And the government's more able to pay. So the victims will have a better chance, obviously, recovering. From right. But, okay. but my question is, why has it have we developed this system where lawyers, for example, we have to pay premiums to insure ourselves or our law firms do or whomever we're employed by? They will, or doctors, they um, they are, you know, covering their own medical malpractice premiums. Or hairdressers the, too, right? Yeah. So and and Sharp fitness, objects near, yeah, and fitness fit, instructors, yoga, yoga instructors have mm-hmm. 
malpractice insurance, and essentially, dog walkers, and essentially, if you child care, literally everyone, literally everyone, and if you make enough mistakes, you're eventually priced out of the system. You de facto lose your license to practice law, to practice medicine, because you can't afford the insurance premiums. Now, let's be clear. There are issues with medical malpractice lawsuits, and studies have shown that oftentimes the people who are actually injured don't sue as much as they should when people who aren't, in fact, injured sue. So there, there's an issue there. It's not a perfect system. It's not a perfect system, but there probably is... probably does a better job of allocating the risks, responsibilities... Right. The ability to repair harm. But while in theory this sounds like a good doctrine to have developed, in practice, the way courts apply this doctrine is just insanity. So essentially, this is an insurmountable mountain that no plaintiff can get over. What so is? this doctrine, qualified immunity, it essentially means that no police officers are ever sued even if they are clearly violating the law, violating someone's constitutional rights, because the doctrine says that um, the officer or the government official must have violated, quote, clearly established law. And the way that this has been interpreted by courts is that it's read as requiring that not only does the police officer's behavior violate written law, the Constitution, Fourth Amendment, whatever. But there also has to exist a clear judicial precedent, a prior case, that establishes that the behavior is unlawful. So you have to match facts to facts, case law to case law. For those of you who don't know what case law is, it's just judge-made law. It's a court case. Whatever the judge decides, that's case law. Judge-made law, it's still law. Now, what this, what this has done It's created a world in which we have a case where an officer has sicked a dog on a suspect that has laid down, surrendered, laid down on his face. That plaintiff has to prove that the facts of a case where the dogs were sicked on a suspect who was sitting on his hands, surrendered, sitting on his hands, that the the clearly established precedent follows that case. So you have you have judges saying that cases being decided that have different outcomes where a suspect is on his belly, supine, dog sicked, versus a person sitting on their hand, surrendered, dog sicked. Not the same outcome because not the same facts. That's insanity. Okay, that, want... that was a little bit confusing to me. Okay. Okay. What you have to prove when you are a plaintiff in these qualified immunity cases to get over that doctrine, to actually be able to prosecute the police officer as a person and not just the government as an entity, you have to match the facts of your case to a previously litigated case. Okay, okay slow down. First of all, how do you get the first case then? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean... Clearly, I would assume that the first case, given that this is only oh, hold on, hold on. a fifty-year-old, listen, if a fifty-year-old just gets drunk at a bar and accidentally shoots someone, and he's the first one to ever do it, he can be prosecuted, right? I would assume that 
very egregious cases like that where it's very clear that you are violating someone's constitutional rights, shooting them. Or he gets drunk, drives, goes 100 miles right. an hour. Assuming and hits he's okay. on the du- on duty. Uh-huh. Uh, assuming he's on the job. Yeah. And obviously. Guy, he's going to get prosecuted and charged. And yeah. But the way that this has been developed over time is that you have to match facts to facts because you have to satisfy that there's a clear judicial judicial precedent that establishes that the behavior is unlawful. So I gave you the case of the dog sicking the person who has surrendered on his belly versus the person who has surrendered sitting on their hands. Okay, just to be clear, you're saying that a police officer is not allowed to sick a dog on someone who is surrendering and we know that because in a case where a person is sitting, sitting on, their, on hands, their hands, they're like, yeah, you can't stick a dog on that person. And then you're saying years later, years someone later, else the case, tried to exactly. surrender, but they were on their belly. And that difference in the posture of which they in surrendered the, right. means that the second cop got off the hook. Exactly. That means that the facts didn't match the facts. There wasn't clear judicial precedent that it violated the law. So you literally have to have the perfect storm of facts to be successful in these cases. Now, that's not to say that we can't prosecute police officers criminally, right? This is just civil suits. We're just talking about civil suits. And, and, but there's another insurmountable mountain that you have to get over to prosecute a police officer criminally, right? You have to get the DA, you have to get the the prosecutors on board and they have to work with the police all the time. So clearly there's a relationship there. There's deference there. It would be like me having to, you know, sue my boss. It just doesn't work that way. You're in this collaborative environment. Police officers have to testify. So it doesn't happen. I guess I'm just, I guess I'm just so surprised that the way judges have interpreted this is that police officers can get away with brutalizing citizens as long as they do it in a novel way. <laughs> like, like, yeah, no, that's what I was just thinking. They're, as long as you do something in a new way, like they can't ever expand the list yeah. of unacceptable things yeah so if you're just shooting someone or if you're just in a car chase and you run somebody off the road it's it's just insanity it's insanity and it's not old legal doctrine it's fairly new in terms of legal doctrine and it's just been the way it's been interpreted and applied is just total bullshit Provides again, these people work for us. We are the taxpayers. They are public servants. We should be dictating how they interact with their constituents, with society. And and yeah, that's just not the way it is. But um I don't know. I don't know. I feel I feel so hopeless that I feel like we've made it very clear that we only care about our economy. Like that's what we care about in America is our economy, not people's lives. Do we strike? Do we have a general strike? That's what the NBA players are doing. Yes. That's what the NBA did today. I mean, they didn't call it that. They called it, they a called boycott. off, they delayed tonight's games. Let's be clear. But yeah, I mean, first of all, if there ever was a time to strike, it's when there's a pandemic that's already killed almost 200,000 of us. 
in five months, it's killed 200,000 Americans. It's, it's just, it, I feel nauseous. It's baffling. And, and, and a lot of those people died because of the reopenings. A lot of the people have died because of it. So if there ever was a time for a general strike, it would keep more of us alive. And God, yeah, we need to just stop thinking about the money somehow. Stop thinking about the money. I know that's we, not an option for everyone, right? Obviously, obviously, we are privileged in that we have jobs. We are so privileged. We have jobs. We get to work from home. I get to log on to my computer and just, I'm not doing manual labor. I'm not exposing my family to risk. We're so lucky. But I think we have to use that fortune, that luck, to push for change because clearly nothing else is working. People have tried kneeling peacefully. <laughs> They've tried protesting peacefully. They've tried rioting. And now we're just sending in federal troops. Instead of talking about the cause of the rioting, we talk about how do we quell this? How do we get rid of these people? Instead of addressing the root cause. Yeah. It's and on top of all of it, the Second Amendment people, the guns rights people who were always saying, we're going to be the ones defending you from the government, they're joining the government. They're going to join with the police. And, and that's, I think, I think that's the fundamental flaw of the Second Amendment debate. And, and having sort of a, a um, just free flow of arms in the United States, having all these whatever gun technology things like the bullets that shoot really fast. I'm not a gun person. I don't even – magazines, that's what they're called. But ultimately, the logical endpoint of any sort of insurrection is a civil war. Actually, hold on. One, thing, one more thing I want to say. Okay, so right now I just displayed shock that the Second Amendment people actually joined with the police. But if you actually look at the real history of the Second Amendment and the context under which that amendment was written, it wasn't the, – the point was never to have a militia that would stand up for the government. It's just that back then, first of all, there was no police force. Police force is, I think, either a late 19th or an early 20th century invention. They literally did not imagine of a police force at the very beginning – and what they were thinking was this, you know, the Second Amendment on all the revolution stuff happened right after the Whiskey Rebellion. And what they realized was they needed an armed militia to put down rebellions of the people. So it was never about standing up against the government. It was being the government's tool in the face of revolting people. That's that's the real context of the Second Amendment. That's been lost in just not All lost. If you do a little a bit, bit of research, research right? Yeah. Come on, we have the internet. You, the internet was supposed to solve everything. No, the not internet has access broken. to all knowledge was supposed, like this is not like some QAnon thing. Just look at reputable sources for right. fifteen minutes on Google, <laughs> and you will read about the Whiskey Rebellion and the true history of the Second Amendment. But but I think that that leads you to the the bigger issue here. There's probably twenty more sites that say the opposite. Yeah. And that uh, the that's inner, a whole separate new problem. That's a whole separate problem. Let's not get into that. I think what what I'm for today in this moment, and this is just my opinion. I think we have to have some kind of general strike. I think we have to collectively act. People who, you know, work high paying jobs or whatever. Those are. What do we have, Hagan? What's my saying? We always have a market solution. For rich people. If rich people are the ones who stop working, 
who try to, who pull their money out of the stock market, who do things like that, maybe people will at least come to the table to have a conversation. Maybe our government will at least ask the question, why do we have widespread protests and quote unquote looting and rioting instead of just whatever it is we're doing right now, which is insanity. You know, I just had a depressing thought on a personal level. I'm not sure that's true, that it's the rich people that need to strike. Because, listen, you're an, you're an attorney. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm an online education producer. Nothing really happens if we just go AWOL on our jobs for a week. Or, I mean, obviously, people are going to look. But, like, I really think it needs to be, like, Grocery air traffic workers, control Air people, traffic control, like, tra- trains. Yeah. Yeah, I, just turn off all the traffic lights. Just yeah. turn off all the traffic lights. Yeah. No, and and but Hagana, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think collectively. And, and what I'm saying is, the, the people that would actually shut everything down are in no position to do so financially. Exactly. They but that's nothing. the that's the problem. I mean, that's the problem with America. It's probably by design. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's by design, but but to sit and do nothing feels wrong. Even to go out and protest feels wrong. Like, not that, again, not that protesting is a waste of time, but it's clearly not working to enact change. We've What have we changed since January 2020? We've gotten rid of a few brand names that were racist. We've, um, I mean, honestly, the reason why the Kenosha shooting the reason why the Department of Justice investigates those um, shootings in Wisconsin is because of a prior police incident, a prior police shooting, where the reaction was that now a separate entity has to investigate. The Department of Justice investigates the states, not the federals. Um, so, you know, maybe we get small changes like that over time, but it's so slow. It's so slow, and so many more people are going to be brutalized and Many more people are going to die. Like, that's the opportunity cost. We need fast change. We need comprehensive reform now. So I don't know how to do it. Here's an interesting idea. I'm surprised some very enterprising and ambitious person hasn't tried to sell insurance to every single American city with a police force. Because I feel like the case, you can, the fiscal case... For them having insurance is just so good, but um, oh, I no, think that I think like, that I think that cities do have insurance. I mean, I'm I'm assuming cities have insurance. Um, I'm assuming cities have insurance, but you'd still pay higher premiums, and eventually you'd be priced out of, you know, the insurance market if you have a police for, force that's just rogue, and you're paying all these huge settlements, nine, section 1983 settlements, um. Yeah, I don't know. I feel very, I don't know. I don't think we can end this podcast on a high note tonight. I think we just, I think we just open up for, I think we open up to suggestions and we consider a general strike. We consider other methods of protest if anybody has ideas i don't know i'm all ears i would lose my job over this 
like Haganah. I feel like people have lost empathy. Do you know what it feels like to lose someone? Or for your father to be paralyzed because of a police shooting. Like those kids were in the car. Like imagine if I was killed by police. Imagine if you were killed by police. You're literally gone. Your life is over. There's no, we have no more days. I think people forget the gravity, the the finality of all of it. And to have it taken away from you for no reason. Or for the for doing exactly what everybody else in society who is not the same color as you does every day. Selling a Lucy cigarette? Are you fucking kidding me? Who cares? Legally carrying a firearm, playing with a toy gun, going for a jog. I mean, clearly, we're not, you are a minority. I'm a woman, so I guess you could call, but like, we are both. To be clear, I'm Korean. I'm not really getting profiled. No, you're not getting profiled. It is. It's nauseating. I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know how you deal with this kind of trauma and living in fear. They talk. Well, who was the, the coach? Doc we just, Rivers, yeah. We just watched. He's like, how is it that white people are afraid? It's. Yeah, I have. All of you should watch that speech. He's the coach of the Clippers. The Clippers. He was. Um, yeah, he was real. And shared how he felt. And it was. Yeah. All right. Let's end there. Yeah.